Our sermon lesson this morning is going to come from Acts chapter 2. We will read that sermon lesson throughout the sermon this morning. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the three years that I have gotten to serve as a pastor or a pastoral intern, I've gotten to teach high schoolers, I've gotten to teach grade schoolers, I've gotten to teach young adults, and I've gotten to teach old adults. And one thing that I've noticed about every generation, every age, is they all ask the same question. It's a question that I've, lo- I've grown to love to answer. It's the what-if questions. No matter your age, everyone asks in a Bible study the what-if questions. And I love those questions because they always come from my heart, from a place that is really wondering, what does God's word say here and how should I apply it to my life? The fifth grade boy who learns about heaven and learns that there's singing in heaven, but particularly doesn't like to sing himself, wonders, what if, what if I don't like heaven? The very thoughtful, the very studious eighth grade girl who just had her heart touched by the message of the gospel and what it means to know of God's love for you, wonders, what if? What if there is someone who lives on a remote island far away someplace who never gets to hear about God's word? The entire class of high school juniors wonders, what if? What if someone takes their own life because it happened to one of their classmates? college senior wonders, what if the person that I'm dating or the career path that I've chosen isn't what God's plan is for me? Even Jesus' disciples wondered, what if? Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Essentially, he was asking, what if, what if it's eight? What if it's more times than I want to forgive somebody? But you see, something happens. Something happens as we grow older, even though we have those what if questions, Oftentimes, we just don't ask them, lest someone judge us. But we wonder, we wonder, what if the people I love, the people I know, I don't recognize them in heaven? What if the faith that I grew up believing, I'm not so sure about anymore? What if I don't believe what the Bible says about creation? What if I don't believe the miracles? What if someone I love who has Alzheimer's doesn't know me or doesn't know Jesus? What if I don't go to church? Does it matter? Well, we can't answer all of those what-if questions in one single sermon, but what if? What if we answer that last one? What if we don't go to church? Does it matter for my Christianity? Does it matter at all? Well, if you're just joining us, for the last two weeks, we have been going through our sermon series, Blueprint. God's plan for his church. It's a sermon series that is walking us through the book of Acts. We started out this sermon series looking at what God's plan is for the church. Acts chapter 1 shows us that God's plan A, and there is no plan B, sits on the proclamation of what Christ has done for you. And oh, by the way, his plan is also the purpose for your life because Christ has called you to be his witnesses. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, where we see that God not only calls us to be his witnesses, but he gives us the tools to do it. He gives us the tools of the law and gospel to preach, to proclaim, to share with one another, to help build up his church. 
and yet through two weeks, we have yet to see the church itself. We've seen God's plan to build his church, but here in our third week, we're still in Acts chapter two. We're gonna look at a picture of the church that God built, his very first Christian church, a church that was perhaps one of the most vibrant Christian communities that ever was, a church that on one day saw 3,000 people walk in through the door, a church that was constantly meeting together, preaching together, teaching one another, a church where every day everybody's needs were always filled, a church that every day all the time, got together and saw more and more people added to their numbers. Well, how did that happen? Was it because they had an incredible launch service? Well, they did, but that's not it. Was it because they canvassed and hung a million door hangers on homes during one summer? That's not why. No, the reason why this church was doing what it was doing, was looking the way it was looking, was because everybody who went to that church understood one thing, and that's that community matters. Everybody understood that they were more than just an individual. They were a part of something bigger than themselves. They were a part of a body, and so they came together as a community, or what I like to call a community. No, I didn't spell this wrong all over your service folder and in the PowerPoint slides. Community is something that you may be thinking, yeah, I know exactly what that is because that is, uh, you know, there's a close sounding word to that. But today we're going to define exactly what community is because what it is is something that matters very much to Christ. It's something that matters very much to you and me and community is something that matters to other people as well. This morning we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Here in Acts chapter 2, we get a snapshot of the very first Christian church, and we see the people devoting themselves to four things. We see them devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. Or in other words, what I like to call the forgotten part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission, everyone knows, is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what most people forget is Jesus also said, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's what this first Christian church did. They devoted themselves to instruction. They devoted themselves to teaching one another who Jesus was, what he did, what he taught, and they grew together in that. And that's why that's what we do here at The Way. That is why we devote a third of our ministry, energy, and resources to learning the truth. That's why we have a Bible class specifically set up for people who are brand new to our church. That's why we teach kids, young children, what God's word says, teaching them Bible history so that by the time that they come into our catechism class in fifth, fifth grade, they've gone through the Bible two, maybe three times. 
That's why we have the Way University for adults that's going to kick off this winter with courses and seminars for you to grow in your faith. The first Christian church devoted themselves, dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread. The breaking of the bread, while it was also a meal, just enjoying uh, food together, it was also an intimate celebration of that sacred supper that our Lord Jesus Christ instituted on the night that he was betrayed, where he broke bread and he said, take and eat, this is my body. He gave him the cup and said, take and drink, this is my blood shed for you for your forgiveness. Do this in remembrance of me. The very first Christian church dedicated themselves to celebrating that supper. It's something that we do here, and we do it every other week. Just last week, we were able to celebrate the very first Lord's Supper with four of our new members. If you're interested in breaking bread with us, talk to me after the service, because we want to break bread with you. They dedicated themselves, breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Prayer is not and was not just some psychological uh, fixer that people did, but they recognized prayer had power. After hearing the promises of what God has spoken in his word, they prayed them back to God, and God's word tells us that prayer has power to give direction to our lives and to what they were doing as a church. Those are three things. There's a fourth thing that Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, made sure that we didn't forget. A fourth and final key emphasis of this first Christian church was that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bed in their homes and ate together. The reason why that this Christian community grew the way it did, was able to do what it did, is because they dedicated themselves to fellowship. What is fellowship? Well, it's, a, it's actually a vastly different concept than what most of us who grew up in the church think about fellowship as. Fellowship is, but it is also a lot more than just the coffee and donuts and the how-do-you-do's after church. Fellowship is a lot more than just getting together with churches that believe and teach the exact same thing that we do. No, fellowship as it is designed and fellowship as it is demonstrated in this early Christian church is this. To summarize it in one word, gentlemen, are you ready for this? It is about relationships. It is about you coming into my life and me coming into your life. It's about you coming into my home and me coming into yours so that we know each other, so that we share with each other the struggles that we have, the victories that we have, and together grow in our faith. They dedicate themselves to the apostles' teachings, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and they dedicated themselves. They didn't just enjoy it sometimes, but they persisted in fellowship, to doing things together, to coming together. Now, I want you to take that picture of the first Christian church, and I want you to compare it to the cultural climate that we find ourselves in today. You notice any difference? Well, I think one author might have hit it on the head when they said, you can call the American society a fast society. You can call American society an efficient society. But one thing you cannot call our American culture is a personal, relational society. 
It seems as though our society, the way we live, is set up for isolation. I mean, we wear earbuds when we work out. I work out at Gold's Gym. I went in on Thursday night at 6.30 p.m., the most crowded time of the day, where there's about like 100, 150 people in there, and I counted five people talking, including the one that said to me, hey, are you done with that yet? We go home, we walk through gates, we drive our cars into garages and close them, and we go in our houses. It seems as though our mantra is that you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. A vastly different picture than what that first Christian church looked like. And yet what that does is it has an effect on the way we think about our faith, on the way we think about our personal relationship with Jesus. We think that it is something that can grow and can thrive in isolation. It's just me and Jesus. And for whatever reason, whether because we're hurt by the church or whether because we've been damaged by it, offended by other Christians, whether because we're too tired, admittedly too lazy, or just plain too busy, what happens is we tell ourselves that it is okay to not come together, to not be a part of a church, to not go. But what does that do to our faith? Oh, you can listen to what God's word has to say and say, hey, I, I can read the Bible, Pastor. I have the Bible. I know what it says. You can say, hey, I know what the Bible says about God being omnipresent, a fancy word for everywhere at once. And that means I can commune with God, whether I'm having breakfast with my kids, coffee with my friends, or I'm out walking the dog. You can say, Pastor, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get me to come back to church, get me to go to church regularly? Church isn't about a building. Church is about people, and I am the church. Well, you're right. God's word is with us. We have God's word. We can read it wherever we go. God is always with us. He promises us that in his word. God's word tells us that the church is not a building, but you are not the church. People are the church. People gathered together around the word and the sacraments as they are taught and carried out in their purity, that is the church. That is where Christians are found. Did you know the word that the Bible uses more than any other word to tell us about what the church is and what the church looks like is the word body, is the analogy of the church being a body. Colossians chapter 1 says this, the Son of God is the head of the body, which is the church. Ephesians chapter 4 says leaders in the church are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And in 1 Corinthians, we hear about why this analogy works so very well. It's because the body is a unit. And though it is made up of many parts, and though all the parts are many, they still form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by the one spirit and into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slave or free. And we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. The Bible tells us that the church is a body. And each one of us is a part of this body. On October 27th, 2010, there was a prosthetic leg found in some bushes just off a road in North Carolina. That leg belonged to a 10-year-old, a 10-year-old named Zara Baker. If you know anything about Zara's story, 
you know that she had a very difficult life. Zara grew up, and by the time she was five, she battled uh, cancer with bone marrow, and that is why she lost her leg. But you know that her story also perhaps ends very, very tragically, because the reason Zara's leg, prosthetic leg, was in the bushes that day was because she was murdered and disposed of by her stepmother. Do you think that when her father got word and received the news that they found part of her, her leg, you think that brought him any joy? No. Because he still could not hold the entire body of his baby daughter. He still could not hold the entire body of his child. If God were to show up at the Way Church on any given Sunday or any given time that we meet together for a learn event or for a life event, how much of the body do you think he would be able to hold? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us, it says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Which means if someone's not here, part of the body is missing. And if several people are not here, which is unfortunately the case with so many churches, even young churches, that means that many parts of the body are missing. And what we need to ask ourselves is really how much vibrant ministry can happen when body parts of our Savior's body are scattered across the city. You might think to yourself, well, is this just another sermon, Pastor, where you're trying to be pushy and get us to come to church? Is this just another one of those sermons that's trying to make me feel guilty about missing some Sundays in the past or missing some Sundays coming up? Well, can I be perfectly honest with you? You're kind of right. But hear me out. Listen, it's because community matters. It's because God's word says that coming together to be united as a body of believers matters. 85 times in the New Testament, the New Testament writers use phrases like together, one another, other, to express and command us what we're supposed to do as we turn towards other believers. It is impossible to love, speak, or greet, or instruct one another when you're by yourself. It's impossible to carry on, encourage, build up, or be at peace with each other if you're not with each other. It's impossible to meet, eat, join, or come together when you're by yourself. Listen, the reason, the reason that I tell you this is because the devil's number one objective, his number one goal, is to see you separated from Christ, to see you separated from the body of Christ forever. We call that hell. So basic logic would follow that if that is the devil's number one goal, that is his same mission right here and right now. He would like nothing more than for you or me to believe anything, any sort of rationale that would have us believe that it is okay to not come together. It is okay to not come and be a part of a community of believers. But listen, listen, we are the body of Christ. And the only reason that we are the body of Christ, that we are formed together as one with Christ as our head, is because for our sake, Christ was torn apart. There's one thing that you should know this morning is that community matters. Community matters first and foremost because Christ came and made 
us his body. Christ came and made us the church. And you've been waiting a long time, I can tell. Your first fill in the blank is this. It's that community matters to Christ because Christ came and made us his body, the church. Christ came from heaven. Christ came and stepped up to the cross. And Christ suffered an eternal loneliness so that you and I would not ever have to. He endured as the relational member of the triune God, being cut off, forsaken, separated from God. Why? So that you and I would never have to. So that you and I would never have to experience that. Christ came to earth for that. He came to forgive us for all of our sins, for all of us trying to be individuals, to trying to separate ourselves from the body of Christ. And now he has ascended and he comes to each and every one of us through the power of his Holy Spirit and he's coming back again. Oh yeah, community matters. Community matters to Christ because Christ made the church. He made the body of believers. Above all, that relationship, that relationship with Christ is most important. But if that is the only relationship that we have while we are on earth, it is absolutely going to happen that our spiritual lives fall apart. Because here's our second fill in the blank for today. Is that community matters first and foremost because Christ came and made the body as church. But also, community matters to you and to me because it is the body of believers that comes together for your blessing, for my blessing. You think about that. You think about if your life is feeling out of whack, if your life is feeling very busy, if your life is feeling a whole lot of stress, where else can you go to receive promises that when you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be given to you as well? There's no vacation, there's no other routine, there's no spa day that can make that promise to you. Are you feeling tired? Don't skip out on church. Come and Jesus says, I will give you eternal rest for your souls. Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling rejected? Are you feeling depressed? Don't skip out on this community, but come and be united with brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters, your band of brothers and sisters who have your back and will remind you that we have a God who is drawing us near to him and drawing us to one another. Have you been hurt? By the church? Have you been angered or offended by another Christian? Don't skip out on church, but come. Come and hear a message of forgiveness, a message that we stand in an empty tomb and we have full and free forgiveness for all our sins. And knowing a message like that allows you to show a forgiveness like that and opens up a whole new way of living. Yeah. Community matters. Community matters first and foremost because Christ created the community that you and I get to enjoy. But community also matters to you and to me because it is the blessings for our lives here and it's a blessing for our lives in eternity. And to the extent that we understand that, well, then we can begin cultivating community for others as well. Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all of them, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it away to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. We already mentioned it. We live in an intensely individualistic society. We live in a society that allows us to not ever have to go to the store when it's opened if we don't want to because we can shop online. We live in a society that we don't ever have to watch TV, TV shows, live TV events when we want to because we can binge them on the weekends. And that is great. That is, that is a really awesome blessing of living in the age that we do. But think about the effect that that has on even the most zealous churchgoer. Well, we start to throw out phrases like, you know what, I don't know if I enjoyed church because I didn't get fed. That church doesn't provide programs for me. We walk out of church and it rolls right off our tongue. I didn't, I didn't really get anything out of it today. And you're right, church is for you. It is for your blessing. It is so that you grow in your faith. However, when we think that ministry is only something that happens for me and not something that I do for others, well, we've confused our concept of what community is all about. Community, and this is our third one, community matters to others because it is the body of believers that comes together to show Christ's love. Community matters to Christ. It, can matters, it matters to me, and it matters to others because it's where we get to show Christ's love. Look at the dramatic effect that the community in Acts had on other peoples. Everyone was filled with awe. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. In Acts, we see a community of people gathered together and not worry about material needs, not worry about their time, not worried about what they had going on because they knew that they had a God who did not let us lack anything. They knew that they lived with and they lived for a Savior who did not come to this world to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. They knew that they were serving a king who showed us what it means that the first will be last. They knew that their savior said, whoever wants to be the greatest must be a servant of all. And that savior exemplified what that meant when he bowed his knee to his father and said, your wills be done, not mine. And he died on the cross to take away every one of our sins every one of our selfish sins. In short, this community was able to show Christ's love to others because they mirrored Jesus in every way. It only makes sense that just a couple of chapters later, they're gonna get the name Christians or little Christ because they reflected that to the community. Talking about the awe, awe-filled perception that the non-believers had about the community of Christians. Tertullian, a second century uh, Christian writer, said this, we look and we see how they love one another. Community matters to others. It matters to others because it may be the only glimpse at Christ that other people will ever get to see. So what does that look like for the way church 
Should we get together and should we sell all of our possessions so that people in the community are never without need? Should we get together and all quit our jobs so that we can hang out every day, breaking bread together, enjoying fellowship, enjoying food, enjoying the, the community that we have here? Well, it might be fun for a few days, but I don't really think that would work. In fact, that's not why God put this section in Acts chapter 2. It's to get us to live exactly like that. No, I don't think that would be a very powerful witness of the gospel today if we all quit our jobs and just hung out every single day. But what should we do? Well, the lesson that we read in Hebrews before gave us some really, really awesome encouragement to consider. In Acts chapter 10, verse 24, we read, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The Greek word used for to spur one another on has the picture of coming along and poking someone. It's not always fun. In fact, sometimes it's kind of painful, right? But that's the idea that the writer to the Hebrews gives, is that instead of giving up meeting together, we should come and poke one another. And to do that, you know what we have to do? We have to actually be close enough to people to poke them. And we have to be close enough in a literal sense, but also in a figurative way. So that they know that our poke isn't out of judgment. Our poke isn't out of a condescending attitude or an attempt to control. But our poke is done to urge people towards love and good deeds. Let's consider how we can spur one another on and not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. The Greek used word used for encouraging one another has the picture of coming alongside someone. It's the same word used to describe what the Holy Spirit does for you and for me. If poking or spurring one another on is an intense encouragement, this is a comforting encouragement, coming alongside someone and putting your arm around them, asking them, what do you need? What do you know? What can I do to help you? And there again, you can't come alongside and put your arm around someone in whose life you are not a part of. That's what's being encouraged in the writer of the Hebrews there, is that we come alongside of people and don't just give them our best advice, but tell them what Christ's word has to say. We're encouraged to consider how we might do that for one another. Have you considered how you can do that for one another? I told myself I wouldn't go here this morning quite yet, but I, but I think I'm going to do it anyways. Life groups. Have you considered being a part of a life group? Life groups at the way are the way's way of making community happen. Whether you're young or old or in between, God is calling each and every one of us to be a part of a relationship, to be a part of a community with other Christian people, getting to know them, getting to spur one another on, getting to encourage each other. And those relationships as wonderful as they are and as on great display as they are on a Sunday, they can't necessarily built, be built in the few hours that we spend here on a Sunday morning. And so at the way, another third of what we do as a church, besides worship, besides education, is also focus our energy and focus our time on meeting together, on getting together in life groups, being a part of one another's life to encourage one another, to create community amongst one another. That's what life groups are for. And I want to encourage you to think about being a part of one of those. But let me be clear as we wrap up. Christian relationships 
don't save you. Jesus saves you. His life saves you. A relationship with him is what saves you. But community does matter. Community matters because the concept of community, of coming together as one body, it's, it's a dying concept. What's more, the community we live in is a dying community. Not dying because people are getting older, not dying because jobs and people are moving out of here. No, actually, quite the opposite. But our community is dying because they do not know about the life and the hope that we have in Christ. A life that is ours from first and last because of God's grace, because of his full and free and unconditional love. A life that is ours because the good shepherd laid down his life for us. A life that provides a whole new way of living because Christ's body was that curtain that was torn into two, so now we have access to the Father. Well, this is the life that we know, and this is the life that we share. In the case of the very first Christian church, their message about the life that they had in Christ matched the community life that they were living. It matched it in such a powerful way that it served as a powerful witness to those who are watching. And here's what Luke says as he wraps up Acts chapter 2 after talking about the community that was created there. He says this, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The community didn't save people. The creator, the Christ, the cultivator of community, he saved people. But I wonder, I wonder what if What if the way church lived a community life like that? Amen.